Well, that uh, time of year is now upon us, um, the time of Thanksgiving, and um, it is the beginning of a very festive season in, uh, in our culture. Um, and Thanksgiving usually begins the holiday season, except if you're in my house, which um, uh, the end of summer begins the holiday season. <laughs> We've had a tree up for some time. It was weird on Halloween. We handed out candy, and as people came to the door, we opened the door, and they saw behind me a Christmas tree as we were giving out candy. Um, Usually by the time Christmas comes, I wish Bing Crosby was never born. Um, But it, it is a wonderful time of year. It really, really is. I promise. Um... And, um, you know, it's supposed to be a time of family and friends and fellowship and fat waistlines. I had to continue the alliterating here. Family, friends, fellowship. Um, But it can also be a hard time for people because it reminds us of what could have been. We think of what the things were... We're happy about when this time of year comes. It also, for some people, conjures up things that could have been, or what has been, and is no longer. There's been a lot of sadness with Maribel and I, just because our kids have gotten older, and we've mourned um, the fact that our our house is not filled with the laughter and, and screaming and playing and sometimes fighting that it was once when the kids were a lot younger. And I thought I would enjoy the quietness, but I don't. I'm, I miss the noise. Um, I miss the noise and I miss the laughter. Um, maybe for you, this time of year is difficult because maybe distance from relatives. Um, I know seminary students go through that. Um, you may not think much about it, but for those who are here we have a couple seminary families here. It's, they're distant from their families who are sometimes hundreds or thousands of miles away. And so there's a loneliness there for seminary students. Or the estrangement. Maybe for you it's the estrangement of adult children that you don't talk to as often as you wish. Or the past, a failed marriage. Or a threatening health condition in the twilight of your life. This, the disintegration of, um, of a dream. And the grief of what could have been or what should have been. And I suspect most of us go into Thanksgiving thinking more about what we'll eat and whose house we'll go to than actually thinking about what we're thankful for. I hope this morning we can, for a moment, stop and think about what it means to be thankful and how we should go into this holiday in the next few days here, Thanksgiving um, on Thursday, um, about the things that we should be thankful for, and what it means to be thankful. And this question of thankfulness and Thanksgiving uh, makes us ask, how can we be thankful people when there's so much to mourn? How can we be thankful when thankfulness is often elusive? And finally, does one have to be, feel thankful to be thankful? Do we have to feel thankful to be thankful? Can I, can I be thankful without actually feeling it? 
Um, well, let's, let's look at Luke 17, 11 through 19. Hear the word of God. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus that is, passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, which was the custom of lepers because they were unclean. They knew not to get close to people. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You could add to the text, they were all cleansed. And then one of them, who was cleansed, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Father, we thank you now for this word, the word of God. We pray that you would Illuminate our minds and hearts this morning as we think upon what it means to be thankful, the reasons. Fill our hearts, O God, with a sense of wonder. And Lord, challenge us this morning as we confront our own lack of thankfulness and ingratitude in the face of so many wonderful blessings you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we just read, Jesus is traveling from the Galilee through Samaria. And in Luke chapter 9 onward, it's this long journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. So by the time you get to the Passion Week, Jesus has traveled to the countryside. And often, when Jews were going from the north to the south, they would take the long way around Samaria so as not to enter into Samaria. But Jesus passes through Samaria. He passes through all those different areas that are kind of off limits. And he encounters this group of lepers. Now, in the Bible, leprosy is any skin condition. It could have been real leprosy, which there's a clinical name for now, or it could have been just eczema. But anyone who had some type of skin condition were considered lepers. So you can imagine um, the lack of kind of, you know... They didn't have the scientific knowledge they have now. So if you had a skin condition, you were off limits because it could be contagious. And so you had to be among a colony of people who were ceremonially unclean. It didn't mean you were a sinner, but it meant you were unclean. And because you were unclean, you didn't have access to the temple and its worship. So it wasn't just a physical consequence. There were spiritual consequences of having leprosy or some type of skin condition. And they cry out, they keep their distance, and they cry out and they see Jesus and they say, have mercy on us, Master, which is not just a way to say, Jesus, like, think good thoughts about us. Master, have mercy on us. 
You know, Jesus doesn't say, I do. He knew what they were asking. They were asking to be healed. They were asking for his blessing of deliverance. And Jesus' response is simple enough. Um, They're to go and to show themselves to the priests. And the implication of that is their faith would be demonstrated by their obedience, and that would lead to their cure. So Jesus doesn't say, you're healed. He says, go and show yourself to the priests. And the idea is, if they obeyed that act of faith on the way, they would be cleansed. You might think, well, that's kind of weird. Well, if you remember in the Old Testament the story of Naaman, Remember the story of Naaman in 2 Kings? Naaman was the captain of the Syrian army who encounters Elisha, the prophet. Not Elijah, but his successor, Elisha. And his servant goes to Elijah and says, my master has leprosy. So imagine you're an important person, the captain of the Syrian host, captain of the Syrian army, but you have leprosy. And Elisha says, go and bathe in the Jordan seven times. Do you remember that story? He wouldn't heal him, but the act of obeying would bring his deliverance. Well, it's very similar here. It's almost the same circumstance. The act of doing what the prophet said would bring the deliverance, the obedience. Faith is always followed by obedience. And these lepers, they all showed their faith, and they were all cured, But only one stopped to praise God, turn around, go back to Jesus, and thank him for his cure. Now, if you're not careful, you might miss the point on which the entire passage pivots. The pivot point of the entire passage is this statement. And it's almost like a punchline at the very bottom of the section, it says, oh, and by the way, he was a Samaritan. It's almost like a trap for the reader, especially the first century Jewish reader who is reading along about Jesus' miracles, and then there's a statement, by the way, he was a Samaritan. Um, The nine other lepers, presumably, were Jews. Now, the word Jew comes from the word Judah, Israelites were not called Jews before the Babylonian captivity, but when they went into the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonians and the Persians referred to them from where they came from. They were captives taken from Judah, and they were referred to as Jews. And the word Judah in Hebrew means praise or thanks. These were the people of God's promises and the heirs of the covenant and the patriarchs. If anybody ought to have praise for God... It should be the people of praise, right? The Jews from Judah. But they don't. The Samaritan, on the other hand, the Samaritans as a whole were despised and they're looked down upon. And if you know anything about the story of the history of Israel, Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom before the split, was jockeying for power. And the seat of his power was... Mount Gerizim. And Mount Gerizim was in competition with Mount Zion, where the temple would be built. And there were sacrifices on both mountains. And Jeroboam, well, he wanted people to worship in the northern area where he was. And, but he didn't sacrifice to God on Mount Gerizim. He sacrificed to idols. 
In fact, later on in the Bible, when anyone sacrificed to idols, it said they went after the sins of Jeroboam. Or they committed the sins of Jeroboam. And the Samaritans came about because God judged the northern kingdom of Israel by sending the Assyrians in to destroy the northern kingdom. When the Assyrians went in, they intermingled with the Jewish inhabitants of the northern kingdom. And their descendants became the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were despised by the pure-blooded Jews because they were half-breeds. And their worship practices were muddled. They were despised. They were outside of the household of Israel. And there's a picture of Mount Gerizim. And then the next picture is the Samaritans. They hold to the first five books of Moses, but not the prophets and the Psalms. And the Samaritans were outside of the household of Israel. And Jesus himself called them foreigners. And one of the main themes in the book of Luke is Jesus' ministry to those on the margins of society. And Samaritans were definitely on the margins of Jewish society. And in verse 15 and 16, it says, When the Samaritans saw that he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face prostrated. I think we have a picture there. Just, so just look at that picture, and in your mind, think of, think of what it meant. He didn't just go back to say, by the way, I just want to thank you. He falls on his face prostrate, which means he's just sprawled out on the ground with his nose touching the dirt. He's filled with thanks. He's filled with this sense of gratitude. Falls at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And the point here is not so much to praise Samaritans to say, look how good and righteous and holy the Samaritans are, but really to highlight three points. One, sometimes the people who should be the most grateful aren't. God is merciful to us even when we're not grateful. The other nine, the other nine didn't have their healing taken from them because they weren't thankful. They received their cure, they received their healing even though they didn't give thanks. And then number three, this rhythm of faith and gratitude is simply what it means to follow Jesus and be a Christian in the first century or the 21st century. Faith is always tied together with a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. To have faith is to obey, and part of obeying is being thankful One of the reasons why we had that video before the sermon is just to show us all those passages of Scripture that command us to be thankful. God commands us to be thankful. We're often not thankful, but God commands us to be thankful. The Samaritan is the only one who gratefully returns to Jesus, who's the source of his healing. It's only the Samaritan who makes this appropriate response to God's mercy. The Samaritan is thankful because he's filled with a sense of gratitude. And so if I were to add a, if I were to add a fourth point to the passage, it would be to highlight how perception of God's divine mercy 
informs our worship. There's a perception problem between the Samaritan and the nine others. They viewed things differently. You know, perception is a huge thing with us. Two people can be in the exact same circumstances in life, and one be grateful and thankful, and the other be miserable, and has nothing to do with their station in life. It has everything to do with their perception. I should say it has everything to do with your perception. If you have the right perception, you find yourself filled with awe and wonder and gratitude because your expectations about what life is supposed to give you are always exceeded. If you have the wrong expectations, you're always disappointed because, well, your expectations are in a wrong place. You think you deserve things that you really don't deserve. Maybe that's the big difference there, is the Samaritan perceives that he's getting more than he deserves. Maybe the other nine who go along their way think, of course I got healed. Of course, I'm one of God's faithful. Why wouldn't he heal me? The Samaritan is ostracized from the community of faith. He's outside, he's on the margins of Jewish society, of Israelite society. And when he receives his blessing, there's a perception issue where he recognizes Wow, I just got healed. This is amazing. Some people perceive God's mercy more than others because they have a disposition of gratitude. In a New York Times article, David Brooks writes on what he calls the structure of gratitude. In an article from 2015, he says, Some people seem grateful dispositionally. A people... People with dispositional gratitude take nothing for granted. They take a beginner's thrill at a word of praise, another's good performance, or at each sunny day. These people are present-minded and hyper-responsive. When good things happen, they recognize it and they celebrate it. Brooks goes on to contrast the idea of capitalist meritocracy. He's not taking aim at capitalism, don't worry. But he's, what he's saying is, is those of us who live in this capitalist society, you get what you pay for. What you get is what you, you, you earn what you deserve. That's the mindset of kind of a meritocracy, merit. But people with dispositional gratitude are continually struck by the fact that they're given far more than they pay for and are much richer than they deserve. Show me someone who has a disposition, a general disposition of gratitude, and I'll show you a thankful person. It doesn't mean it's easy for them, but they're always able to give God a sacrifice of thanksgiving because even though they grieve what could have been, they remain grateful for what is and what can be. Thankful people have a sense of hope about the future. That the future is filled with possibilities. The future is bright because the future has the potential to be different than the present. Thankful people have an optimism about God's wonder, power, and ability and, the, and his goodness and God's promises to give us an expected hope and end. Jeremiah 29, 11. So it's not pretending that bad things haven't happened, but it's hoping in a God who always promises to give us an expected end. 
One of my favorite theologians, G.K. Chesterton, said, Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. You know, most of us are thankful some of the time when someone saves us from a bad mistake or um, do some kindness for us, like bringing us food when we're sick, showing us they care more than we thought they did. When people do nice things for us, we're often struck by a sense of, I didn't know they cared that much. And it feels good, and we're thankful for a moment. And the Bible isn't shy about commanding us to be thankful. We're commanded to be thankful. Which demonstrates that thankfulness is not so much an emotion, because you can't command an emotion, right? That's what the Bible says, love your enemies, not like your enemies, because liking people is, impo- liking people is kind of impossible if you don't. Because it's an emotion. You can't fabricate an emotion, but love is an action. It's a command to do something. So when the Bible commands us to be thankful, it's a command for us to do something, to give thanks, to have a disposition which may or may not be tied to how we really feel. So to answer the question, do we have to feel thankful to be thankful, the answer is absolutely not. Sometimes we don't feel thankful. Sometimes we're so bogged down with the circumstances of our lives, trials, disappointments, We don't feel thankful, but we can be thankful. Psalm 106.1 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And Ephesians 5.20, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness structures one's expectations. The leper who returned to say thank you had his expectations exceeded. He didn't expect necessarily that he would receive something he didn't deserve because he understood his place, he understood who he was. Understood the nature of how grace works. Grace is not poured out to those that deserve it. Certainly didn't think he deserved the blessing he received. So how can we have our expectations exceeded? Well, one, by taking nothing for granted. You know, when you have a disposition of gratitude... You're always looking for the small wonders of life. Not taking anything for granted or just assuming things should go well. Sometimes things don't go well, and if we always assume things should go well, we're disappointed. But having a disposition of gratitude is recognizing that when things go the way we hope they go, that that's a wonderful blessing. A reason to be thankful, a reason to glorify God. There are really three ways that we can be thankful Three three thoughts that came to my mind as I was thinking this week about intentional, intentional thankfulness. One is we can be intentional in the way we pray. Take a day out of the week where you do nothing but give thanks to God in prayer. So take a day of the week where you exclude petitions. Maybe you want to write them down. Maybe you want to sit there on the couch with your eyes closed and start recalling the Lord's mercy and goodness throughout your life. If you've never done this before, it is an amazing experience. 
I probably feel the most in touch with God, not when I'm asking for things, but when I'm thanking God for things. Thanking God for the ways that he's moved. I mean, just a day of thankfulness, a single day where you pray and just recall to God. You know, we're funny. We often think, well, God, no. I don't need to remind God. He knows the good things he's done for me. It's not for God. It's for you. It enlarges your heart with a disposition of gratitude. And you need to be reminded of how God has been good and moved in your life. You need to be reminded of the goodness of the Lord. The early pilgrims and Puritans, who we think of when we think of the Thanksgiving holiday, they were the ones who invented the diary. They had a daily journal where they wrote down their struggles with sin and the things they should be grateful for. You know, count your blessings, name them one by one. They did that every day. They invented the diary, the journal, the daily journal. It was a way for them to see the sins they struggled with and try to draw closer to God and rely on his grace more and do better. And also to write down the ways that God was at work in their lives. I mean, how else could a colonizing community, you know, in Virginia in the 1600s manage without utter depression and disintegration, but they did. They had this disposition of gratitude, suffered through cold winters when food and crops died because they didn't know the landscape and they didn't know the soil and how things worked. So being grateful, being grateful in, in, in prayer is one The other is being grateful and thankful in relationships. Thanking God for friendships and relationships and thanking people for their friendship. Being intentional. Hey, I just want to thank you for for our friendship. I just want you to know I'm grateful for your friendship. When someone shares an intimate detail of their life with you, thanking them for that. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Being intentionally thankful. Remember, it's a command. It's not an emotion. It's something we're supposed to do. Thanking God in prayer is an action. Thanking others in relationships is an action. Thank you for your friendship. Hey, I just want to say thanks for sharing that with me. And then the last is something we already mentioned, which is taking nothing for granted. Not assuming that tomorrow will be just like today, where everything went fine. You get a flat tire, you pull over on the the shoulder, and it it can ruin your day because you don't expect to get a flat. I remember, it must have been, it's over 20 years ago. I was in a small church, not my father's church. I was in a small church where I was kind of an up-and-coming minister. I was in my early 20s, and it was a, it was a small storefront church. And uh, the pastor would often ask me to preach on Sunday nights. But he would tell me Sunday after church. Because that's just how they did things back then. And so I would have to run home and scramble. I don't know if he didn't plan or if he thought it was going to, like, make me a minister, you know, make me who I needed to be. I mean, it was horrible. But I would race home and try to find a passage of Scripture, and it was really stressful. And I'd get up, and the sermons would be pretty horrible because you need time to prepare and pray and study. And I remember one night uh, he asked me, and it it was my birthday. I don't know that he knew that, and I ignored the phone call. And uh, Maribel and I got on the freeway in our little car. I had bought a salvage title car. Looked good, but had been kind of glued back together. And we got on the freeway, and we're driving down to my sister's in Burbank. And, you know, 
I just, there was a sense of crushing guilt because I ignored the pastor. And um, the rear windshield of the car had an air seal problem. You drive and you could hear wind coming in. And that day we're driving down, it's about 5 p.m. And I just, you know, I ignored the pastor. I wasn't even going to show up to church. It was like, this is my time, it's my birthday. And the entire rear windshield popped off on the freeway doing 60 miles an hour. And I heard the, the draft come in, and I looked in the rearview mirror and saw it shatter into a thousand pieces behind me. The person behind me swerved. And I went, oh my gosh. And I pulled over, and boom, you know, the, the tire went flat. You know, and it felt like the judgment of God. I mean, it probably was the judgment of God. Because I thought, this, he's just a man. God is not asking me to preach. Some guy is who's my pastor. But my heart was rebellious towards the Lord. And in that moment, I had to make a decision to be like bitter or to thank God that he got my attention. And I looked at Maribel and we just kind of laughed and recognized the hand of God even in that situation. Even the trials... Even the inconveniences, the things that completely ruin your day, your week, your month, your year, God is at work in. Taking nothing for granted means recognizing that that even in the hardships, that God is working and moving. I've never felt closer to the Lord than I have in the past few months. I really mean that. And I don't want to thank God for cancer, but there is a way in which I thank God that this trial, which has scared the graham crackers out of me, I mean, I thought, you know, you get a cancer diagnosis, I'm dead, game over, I'm going to die. Which is not always true, but that's what you feel. And in those moments of internal wrestling and struggling, whether or not I could really trust God, that's how it felt, can I even trust you, God? Wrestling with that and finding in this moment, in these moments and days and weeks of prayer and and talking to God and study, I'm actually thankful. I have this attitude of of thanksgiving even in spite of that because God is at work amidst the inconveniences, the interruptions and the trials. And gratitude and thanksgiving is also a form of social glue. David Brooks In that article, The Structure of Gratitude, he continues, and I'm getting ready to close here in a minute. But he says, gratitude is also a form of social glue. In the capitalist economy, debt is to be repaid to the lender, but a debt of gratitude is repaid forward to another person who also doesn't deserve it. In this way, each gift ripples outward and yokes circles of people in bonds of affection. Just an attitude of thanksgiving, a disposition of gratitude. And it reminds us that a society isn't just a contract based on mutual benefit, but an organic connection based on natural sympathy. Connections that are nurtured not by self-interest, but by loyalty and service. When we're grateful, when we thank God for each other, our relationships, a disposition of gratitude. I always marvel at the Apostle Paul, once a persecutor of the church who became persecuted. If you've read through Paul, I've got, I'm, I've got a growing library on Paul, and I don't say that like I'm bragging. I'm just fascinated by him. 
just fascinated by this guy. He was a persecutor of the church who became persecuted, and he found a way to be thankful in any circumstance. And it was the fact that the things that apparently robbed him of emotional or physical strength, in his estimation, were opportunities for God to manifest his strength and power by sustaining him. He gloried in his weaknesses. He found a way to kind of turn his circumstances up on their head because other people bragged about him. He wasn't a very good public speaker. He wasn't physically impressive. His writings were really the only thing that impressed people. And he, was often, he often had to defend himself in his ministry. He talks about trembling in front of people while he was talking. You know, I mean, I can see him with a parchment, you know, reading, shaking like a leaf. Physically, he says in 1 Corinthians, he wasn't much to look at. He wasn't handsome. I mean, you know, sorry, that's, that's what it's, I mean, he wasn't very good looking, apparently. And he was intimidated by those things, and he was self-conscious about those things. And he wasn't a good speaker, And so he found a way to be thankful by glorying in his weaknesses. And he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. But I rejoice in this, in my weakness, because God's power is made manifest in my weaknesses. Why can you be thankful this Thanksgiving? Because in the moment, in the areas of your life where you're not what you should be, the moments of weakness where you aren't who you should be, God's strength is made manifest and perfected. We may not be mightily delivered like this leper, miraculously cured. God's plan for us may be to suffer through an ailment or a trial that he never chooses to deliver us from, but he gives us the grace to go through it. He supplies us with grace. And let us, like Paul, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray.